Good morning, Crossroads family. Wow. Woo. <laughs> That's kind of cold, isn't it? Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in. We are going to get started with our service. A few announcements I want to remind you of. I don't guess I really need these inside, but it is kind of cold outside. Uh, thanks for um, being here today. It's been a little bit of time with me. Uh, we're going to have a short message for you today because I know you are uh, inside trying to stay warm and maybe with the kiddos. I hope if you are with the kiddos, there are some great lessons on YouTube that Kayla uploaded for the children that they can watch maybe on an iPad or in another room uh, on uh, a TV that's got a, a smart TV with the YouTube on there. Uh, you can find the videos for the kids. So be pulling those up if you would. And uh, so glad that you're here today. A couple quick announcements. Of course, missing a Sunday is always a challenge because uh, we, aren't, we aren't able to fellowship together. I'm going to do my best to kick us off with our Genesis series starting this morning, Genesis chapter one. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go ahead and grab that, that would be awesome. And I also want to remind you our men's conference. Guys, if you haven't signed up, please do that today right there at your house. You can sign up uh, just by going to hopeatcrossroads.org, click on events. And there's a tab on the page after you click to get through to the men's conference. There's a registration link right there. We are trying to make decisions about what we need to do regarding food, and it will help us prepare. If you can go ahead and sign up, $20, just a $20 bill. And again, I'm praying for 100, 150 men that will be a part of that day together and that weekend, of course, with Neelan Brown and Chris Swanson. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, next Sunday evening, the 23rd at 5 o'clock, Lord willing, We'll be getting together for our chili cook-off. So warm pot of chili sounds really good right now with the chill in the air. And of course, a lot of things coming up in February. I hope you saw the announcements as they were scrolling through at the beginning of our service today. And we'll actually throw those up at the end after the service in case you missed those. So thanks for joining us. My friend Joey Estes is going to kick our service off with a word of prayer. I think he's tucked in really warm at home too, Joey. I miss seeing all of you today, and I can't wait till we get back together next Sunday. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. I do pray that you would be with our families and our church. I pray today that you would keep them safe, and I pray, Father, that you would just do a work as we look out and see the beauty of your creation. I do pray, Father, that you would do a work in and through us this week. And when we gather together on next Sunday, that we'll have a time to celebrate about what you do in and through our lives. Now be with us this day. Help us to worship this day. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. If you'll grab your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1 uh, at the very beginning of the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible, and a great, great uh, way to get started here with a new year. So let's read it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, let me stop right there and just uh, point out a couple of things to you. Already we have learned there in the first couple of verses, some folks have asked me, uh, was Jesus and the Holy Spirit there at the beginning? Well, we just read that God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So yes, we see right there God, we see the Holy Spirit, 
And then God said in verse three, God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So the creation of uh, a day and, a, and of night and God called the light day verse five and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning one day nighttime was darkness daytime was light verse six god said let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters let it separate the waters from the other waters and god made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which are above the expanse, and so it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, day number two, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning and there's the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for the signs and for the seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. And you're kind of getting a theme here, right? After every day, it was so, it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greatest light in, to govern the day he called, uh, we know that as the sun, right? And the lesser light he made, and he also made the stars. Verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves within the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, we're hearing a lot of these things where God says it's good, it's good, it's good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures and their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth and the cattle and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw it was good. God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image. Here's the second evidence that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit were at creation. Uh, God said, let us, let us, the plurals of majesty, the first indication of the Trinity, even though you don't find the word Trinity in the Bible right there, indicating that man was created uh, in a natural and moral likeness to God, right there in that verse, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, the, over all the earth, over every creeping thing. God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish and the birds, and every living thing. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of the earth, 
and every tree that has uh, fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky, everything that moves, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And if you want to get on into chapter two and be an achievement overachiever, we know that the heavens and the earth were completed. And the seventh day, what did God do? God rest and he blessed the day and sanctified it. And uh, that is the quick story of creation. I want to encourage you to read it. One of the things, uh, one of the reasons that I am so grateful that we're looking at the book of Genesis, especially in the culture in which we live right now, is the book of Genesis answers a lot of questions that are really foundational to our walk as a Christian. And if we aren't secure in some of these foundational principles that go all the way back to the beginning, it's kind of like building our house on, a sand, on the sand if those foundational blocks are not in place. And when you think about God the creator and the creation of man and woman and what God's purpose was for that, for you and I as a offspring, as people were multiplied and were fruitful and you and I are here, God, God had a purpose from the beginning. And so uh, uh, we also find in Genesis answers to questions like about the origin of the world. Uh, the sanctity of life, which we're going to get into, biblical sexuality, which we're going to get into over these next few weeks. Uh, but for sake of time this morning, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And the first one is this, the origin of the world. Uh, there are a lot of questions, a lot of debates, especially uh, maybe in high school campuses and college campuses about uh, how old the earth is, how we got here, how the earth got here. Uh, reminds me of a story. One day, Albert Einstein, you know, Albert Einstein, very, very smart uh, person. E equals MC squared, right? Einstein came up with that. One day, some students in his class had decided there was no God. And Einstein asked his students this question. He said, how much of all the knowledge in the world, of all the knowledge that's in the world, how much knowledge do you think collectively as a class you have? And the students talked about it for a while. And they came back and they answered him and they said that they felt like they probably had collectively among themselves as a class together, 5% of all the human knowledge was among themselves. And Einstein thought their estimate was a little bit generous, but he replied, then is it possible that God exists in the 95% that you don't know? It's a great question. It's a great thought when we think about Genesis chapter one and we think about creation, because there are a lot of people who ask questions. And uh, in our infinite or in our finite uh, human minds trying to understand the infinite God, um, it's very hard to comprehend because we uh, are incapable of knowing everything. But God has given us some uh, answers to some of those questions in his word. And here are some things that, that I know. There's a lot that I don't know, but I just want to share with you a few things that I do know and make a few points real quick uh, this morning. Here's a few things I know. I know that according to Paul, the most important thing that we learn from Scripture is, and that we're taught as a believer, is that Christ's death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection on the third day, and the resurrection appearance, those are of paramount importance. There's no negotiating on those as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. So I, I know that much. I also know that 
uh, an explicit statement on the age of the earth and the proper interpretation of the days in Genesis 1 is not found in the Bible. Um, I wish it was. I wish it was. I also know that none of the major historic uh, Christian creeds mention the age of the earth, nor do they specify the correct interpretation of the days, the days that are, that are described in Genesis. It was day. It was night. That was the first day. It was the second day. It was the third day. Uh, Genesis tells us pretty definitively how those days and what was created during those days, but there's no real uh, interpretation for us about those days other than day was daylight and nighttime uh, was night. Uh, I also uh, know that uh, most modern day statements of faith don't mention the age of the earth or specify the correct interpretation of Genesis chapter one. Boy, I wish it did. I wish they did. I also know that there's a debate, uh, and we're going to talk about this briefly this morning, between the young earth and old earth advocates, and that is a contentious issue even among modern-day Christians uh, in the United States, okay? For some believers, for example, the Bible clearly teaches that God created the earth in six 24-hour days, and so for those believers to hold to a different view uh, would be to compromise the clear teaching of Scripture for the sake of the current uh, popular opinion. I also know for other believers, there are some uh, multiple lines of scientific evidence uh, that they might cite um, that I'll point to one conclusion. The universe is about 14 billion years old and the earth is about 4 billion years old. And for them to go against that data, feels they, they feel like that would be dishonest uh, about what they believe to know uh, about the natural world. So there's a lot of debates when it comes to earth and, and the day and interpretations along, along those. So before I kind of jump into kind of what some of those uh, detailed thoughts are, and I would encourage you as a, as a believer, uh, you don't have to know all this stuff, but it would be good for you to at least have some knowledge of it because those who would choose to challenge our faith will ask some of the questions that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, the Hebrew term in Genesis chapter 1 is the typical term used in the Hebrew Bible for the 24-hour day. Now, some of you maybe have gone to uh, the ark in Kentucky. Uh, maybe you have studied with the Answers in Genesis team, Ken Ham, and you've studied some of the things that he says. There's great uh, evidence for a lot of the things that their team has spent many, many, many years studying. And the account that we read there in Genesis chapter one of each of those six days concludes, every one of them, if you were paying attention as I was reading, uh, concludes there was evening, there was morning, the blank day, which causes us to think of a typical 24-hour day. Exodus 20, Chapter 20 says this, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, but rested on the seventh day. And that's a strong statement that could be used as support for Israel to have a literal 24-hour period of rest once a week, because we also read in there, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So if you fall into the camp of those who believe that the days of Genesis 1, excuse me, were 24-hour days, then you will reach the conclusion that the earth is actually relatively young, six to 10,000 uh, years old. And you can arrive at that date because you 
uh, know when the first man is connected to his descendants. We have the biblical genealogies all throughout the Old Testament that include uh, the number of years each person lived. We know the first man and woman were created on the sixth day. So use all that data among all the genealogies with a literal view of the six days, and you can determine the relative time when the six days started. Now, as I mentioned, for other believers, there are multiple lines of scientific evidence that they would cite to point to one conclusion, that the earth and the universe are much uh, older than that. And for Christians who believe that science uh, supports that old, uh, uh, old universe earth, they believe there's a great deal of time that has elapsed between the six days that we read about in Genesis chapter one, and then the time uh, after that, where we pick up into the stories of some of the other people in the Bible. And so um, they would say, well, there are some genealogies that maybe are missing. Um, they would say that there is a large gap of time, for example, between Genesis chapter one, verse two, where it says the earth was formless and void and the spirit of God was moving over the surfaces of the water. There was some time lapse there. And then we get into verse three, then God said, let there be light. So maybe there was some distance. Maybe there was some time in there. We actually don't know. We don't know because um, the scripture doesn't tell us. It tells us that the water covered earth was there, right? If you go back to that verse, so the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, but where did the water come from? Uh, so we don't know that. We don't know how long the water-covered earth existed before God says in verse 3, let there be light. So some could say there was a time lapse there. The text doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us that. The days of creation then, they would say, maybe aren't literal 24-hour days, but maybe they're longer periods of time. Uh, the Hebrew term for day is used for a wide range of time periods. Sometimes it's daylight hours. Sometimes it's a 24-hour period. Um, Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 4, and we'll look at this next week, says there are generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So there's this kind of a singular day in that statement. And uh, that is the basis for some of those that would say that we have uh, the earth is much older. Um, the sun was not created until day four. So some people would say, well, days one through three could not have been literal 24-hour days. Um, so there's, there's more. And if you want to know about some of, those, uh, some of those other things that people would point to to say that they believe the earth is older, let, get in touch with me. I'll let you know, because this is we could go on and on for hours and hours just about this one point. Um, but the text of Genesis that I just read, chapter one, and the first few verses of chapter two, um, there are some things in there, like uh, the Hebrew word where it's used for God's rest refers to uh, tiredness and exhaustion in other places where that same word is used. So was God really tired or in need of rest? Um, the Bible clearly teaches God doesn't get tired or weary, right, in Isaiah chapter 40. So we don't interpret there that God's, uh, God's rest is not interpreted literally. So some would say, well, you can't interpret the days literally if you're not interpreting that part literally. So don't want to get in the weeds there. But, um, but these are some things that you need to know. There are a lot of positions, even among Christians, when it comes to creation. And so I want to share a few of those with you. And then I'll share with you what I think based on uh, what 
uh, we see there uh, in Scripture what the Bible tells us. So here, here's some of the views of creation. Here's the first one. Um, creationist. And there's kind of two. And those are really, I just described, the young earth and, uh, and the old earth. And some would say, um, you know, with the old concept of evolution, this conflict between science and religion, it actually started well before Charles Darwin uh, published The Origin of, of the Species. It actually was back in, um, the most famous controversy was back with Galileo. Some of you may have heard that name um, when he was talking about the crazy theory, Copernican theory, that the earth revolved around the uh, sun. They thought it was crazy. Um, and so um, people wanted that teaching uh, as society moved on, wanted that teaching banned from the classroom. And it wasn't until 1968 that the Supreme Court ruled uh, with uh, Epperson versus Arkansas that banning uh, that uh, idea would uh, be the primary purpose would be because it was religious and then that's when the debate began about, is it religion or fact, religion or science? So uh, let me just share with you again real quickly some of these uh, that we're talking about. A creationist is a person who rejects the theory of evolution and believes instead that each species on earth was put here by a divine being. I believe that. Do you believe that? A creationist might accept microevolution, which means that species may change over time based on natural selection, but rejects the notion that one species can turn into another species, that we came from apes, for example. Uh, young earth creationists, which kind of the kind of one, there's two kinds of creationists. The young earth creationists believe the earth is nowhere near uh, 4.6 billion years old, but is closer to 6,000 years old based on the assumption of Genesis being literal days and that God created everything in six to 10,000, uh, everything is stated in Genesis six to 10,000 years ago. So that's the young earth. Uh, the old earth, uh, also called progressive, progressive creationists, also affirms that the earth and the universe uh, were created by uh, God or by some being, but they actually believe it happened billions of years ago. Um, because they claim that the living organisms that were created that we read about in Genesis were indeed created directly by, by a higher power, by God, directly by God. But um, they also tend to have it come up with a different timeline um, than the young earth people. So as you get young, the old people think it took, old, old earth uh, creationists think it took a long time. And they use some of the um, evidences that I just mentioned. Then you have the intelligent design proponent. Uh, those are people that might or might not reject the theory of evolution. Um, they reject the evolution is randomly driven, or more generally, that the notion uh, that natural law and chance alone can explain the diversity of life on Earth. All right. Then we get into just people who are just basic evolutionists. And um, there are a couple of those. There, those are, there is a deistic evolutionist. They believe that God brought the universe into existence. He set the process into motion, and then God left. Uh, and there are a lot of people that think that. Had to be a higher power. Had to ha be a higher being, start this thing in motion, but he's long since left uh, and left things 
spinning. He's completely uninvolved in anything that happens now. Thus, God has not given any divine messages. There's no miracles in human history. Uh, and so basically Genesis, other than uh, higher power or some kind of God doing creation after Genesis one and that happening, he's, he's irrelevant. That's the deistic evolution. Uh, atheistic evolution. God doesn't exist in any of the processes. Uh, it just happened from somehow, from some matter, our diversity of life, and all that comes uh, as some kind of random mutation. And um, the count of Genesis is completely false, absurd, and completely irrelevant for us today. Um, then you have some people who try to merge the two together, and that's the evolutionary creationist. Um, and it is, it's kind of a Christian position on the origin of the earth. It takes the Bible seriously. It takes Genesis seriously as inspired and authoritative. And it also takes science seriously as a way of understanding the world. It kind of includes two, two thoughts. Here's the first one. The first one is God created all things and he did create human beings in his own image. But the second one is that evolution is the best scientific explanation we currently have. <laughs> so Evolutionary, an evolutionary creationist is not is neither science nor theology, but it's an it's a theory. Their explanatory system, the way that they explain how the world came about, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians, uh, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, uh, fall into that category. And here's an interesting thing, just kind of to, to, to get to how, how does this apply to us in our daily life? Because that's the main thing I want us to get to. I think of it this way. I think about what we're in the midst of right now in our world with, with this virus. It's interesting. And if you go back and you Google and you search online, or if you recorded some of the news media and some of the medical doctors that shared uh, in the news and on television, if you were able to go back and pull some of those interviews or just find some of those articles online from two years ago, it's interesting how the facts have changed in the last couple of years. What we were told, and I'm not trying to get political, this is just a matter, it's a matter of a fact. Uh, what we were told about things two years ago is vastly different than what we're being told now. Now, what does that mean? Did the truth change or did our knowledge of what was true change? What did our knowledge of what did our knowledge grow uh, about the issue? And I believe our knowledge grew about the issue. Um, Hopefully, hopefully we have not been deliberately led astray. I'll let you, I'll let you figure that out. But I do know this, the more knowledge we've gotten about the pandemic and COVID-19 and all those things, the facts of two years ago, many of them have changed and we have new facts. And uh, I think the same is true when we think about uh, evolution and some of the other theories and concepts that are all man-made, by the way, created because we have finite minds and we're trying to understand the infinite God. And uh, as we get to know him better, most, if not all of us who are joining today would say there's been at least one issue in your life as you got more counsel from God's word, what you thought was true, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word, not just changed your mind, but revealed to you what was actually true. And that's uh, growing in our knowledge and wisdom and understanding. 
And so that's how we, that's how we, uh, that's how we learn. And so um, I think it's this, I also think God, uh, I heard this analogy, I also think God has revealed what he's revealed to us in his word for a reason. Um, you know, uh, I remember when I was growing up and I was a young kid, I remember asking an adult where babies came from. And, you know, when I was six or seven and I asked that question, they didn't give me the detailed medical uh, adult version of where babies came from and how babies were created. Number one, it would have been wrong to do that. But, but even above that, my mind could not comprehend it because I was a child. And I think equally so, what we have in the word and what we have in Genesis when it comes to creation is that which our mind can barely wrap around, that if we actually had the full knowledge of God and what happened at creation, we would not be able to understand it. We have to remind ourselves that Genesis 1 was written thousands of years ago to ancient people who did not have modern age technology. They had no idea that I could be communicating through a live stream to hundreds of people or dozens of people uh, uh, immediately all simultaneously at the same time through this thing called the internet. If you had tried to describe that to someone and Adam and Eve and, and their, uh, you know, the future generations who came, even the first couple of generations that came, that, hey, yeah, we're going to have computers. And they would not have been able to comprehend it. And so I think about the original purpose in Genesis chapter one, as much as we would love for the purpose to be to convey to us all the scientific evidence of why creation is true and all the factual, uh, historical, archaeological data to us here in the 21st century. It wasn't written for that purpose. It was written in a way that ancient people could understand. And divine inspiration of Genesis 1 means that God had to accommodate his message to that audience at the time. And I think that is pretty awesome. Uh, because we are realizing, again, truth isn't changing, but our, our knowledge of the facts is changing as more and more archaeological evidence even comes up. And you can just Google uh, creation. You can Google things like Noah's Ark, and you can find archaeological data of a lot of the things that are recorded in Genesis. So it's, it's factual data, historical data that's coming into play that is helping us now here in the 21st century understand that God's word is true. So um, how does that apply uh, to us? How does that apply to us? What does Genesis teach us? I believe Genesis teaches us just quickly five things, and we'll talk more about these over the next several weeks. Um, number one, God is a creator. God is the creator. He created by speaking it into existence. That's an awesome thing. God is creator. Uh, the second thing is God is powerful. God's powerful. And God is, is one of a kind in his uniqueness, in his singularity, even though he's God, it can reveal himself in three ways, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, the Son, through God, the Father. He is a singular God. And the belief in many gods, uh, polytheism, the belief in many gods was uh, prevalent and permeated the ancient world. And starting with the very first verse of Genesis. What do we hear? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, God alone 
And Genesis rejects that there's any other God and confronts us with the all-powerful God, our God, our God. God is powerful. Third thing is God has a plan. Things aren't random. I'm so grateful things aren't random. Five times in Genesis chapter one, we see the phrase God called. He called. He defined things for us. He aided us uh, in our understanding of things. And once he calls these things what they are, once he names these things what they are, and this is going to be so significant when we get into chapter two, man is obligated to use that understanding and in the way that we think and in our definition of those things. We are not the creator. We don't get to decide what we call things. God, God did that. God did that at creation. And you know, how, how would you like it if you got all these ingredients and you decided you were going to create your own cake and you created it and you put some lemon in there and you put some other things in there and you wanted to call it Luann's lemon pie or whatever. Hey, Luann. Um, and somebody came up to you and said, that's not what we're going to call that. We're going to call it uh, Jack's bombshell. And you go, no, that would, we're going to call I made it. I'm going to call it what I, I'm calling it. And it's interesting, and we're going to talk about this next week, how our world and our culture is starting to tell God, no, you define that incorrectly. We're going to tell you what that is. We're going to tell the creator of the world he was wrong, and we're going to redefine things. Can't do that. God has a plan, and things uh, are not random. Man is called to shape uh, our thoughts after God's thoughts, not vice versa. Uh, number four, real quick, number four, God is creative. Nothing uh, awes us so much as God's ability uh, to do what he says. Uh, that's real authority, real power. And uh, two words stand out in Genesis chapter one, in those first few verses of chapter two, uh, created is bara, it's the word bara, B-A-R-A-H, and then made, asa, I think is the way you say it, A-S-A-H, create gives us this sense that out of nothing, God created. While made speaks of, of forming and shaping the creation. And so um, we can only conclude by looking at Genesis chapter one, that the more creative uh, demanding works like things like the sea monsters, um, it's that word create. God is creator and he's creative. Uh, you think about the butterflies. God created that. Wow. You think about some of the some of the bugs. I'm not, I'm not even sure why he made them, but they all have a purpose. They all have a purpose. And the last thing this morning, God created man in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. And we're going to talk about that next week. What is, what is a man? What is a woman? What is biblical sexuality? What does God have to say about that? So whether you're a, a young earth, uh, are your an old earth uh, view of creation, uh, or whether you believe it's seven literal days, or there is a gap in the timeline, uh, you and I have to, foundational in our belief as a Christian, uh, come to terms with some of these things. And again, Paul tells us that the main thing we have to agree on is Jesus is Lord. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead, and he lives again, and he's coming back to take us to heaven if you're a child of God, and that is non-negotiable, and I hope you have done that this morning. 
if you'd love for someone to talk to you about that decision, uh, that is the most important decision. Uh, you may still be wrestling around thinking through uh, how does science and faith uh, come together to help me have an understanding of what creation is all about. That's okay. Wrestle through that. Wrestle through that. Dig into God's word for yourself. Uh, I think that it's pretty clear that God is the creator of the world. There, there, if there was a big bang, God was the one who created the big bang. He lined out all those things over those days and created uh, all the things that we talked about uh, this morning and designed man in his own image. And that is a powerful thing. So thanks for tuning in today. I hope you have a great day. Stay warm. Next week, Genesis chapter two. And if you've got questions about this kind of stuff, uh, shoot me an email or send us a text. All right. Hey, if you miss the announcements, they'll be up next uh, for a lot of things coming up in the next few weeks. So check them out. And I hope you have a great Sunday. God bless you.